0: Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast with the college basketball season on the doorstep getting started next week. Joined, as always, by my buddy Chris Dorch, Blue Ribbon. And, uh, Chris, it's exciting. I have had that Blue Ribbon tablet version out and uh, working on some game prep for the first couple games of the season. Great work, as always, by uh, you and your crew. And uh, just looking forward to getting everything started here in a few days. The season is right here. The calendar is flipped to November, and we're ready to go.
1: I'm fired up, which means uh – we're going to go to weekly podcasts now, right?
0: Yes. Uh, well, that uh, we'll start we'll, cranking those out every week here in the next week or two. Looking forward
1: to that. And, uh, like you said, Blue Ribbon has been out now for more than a month in the tablet version. And for the last two plus weeks, we've been mailing out books right and left. So, uh, they're still available at blueribbonyearbook.com. So, uh, get yours and and they make a great christmas gift too
0: they do they make a great uh, christmas thanksgiving uh, halloween gift whatever you want to do with it it's uh it's it's awesome as always it's i mean the the quality of it you can count on it every single year It's, it's always terrific and the thing i like too is uh You know, uh, announcing games with teams that maybe not necessarily everybody has a preview of. Blue Ribbon has a preview of everybody, so you just go in and check it out, and you're good to go. Let's talk about some of these uh, games coming up next week, the season openers. Uh, We start the journey from here to New Orleans, where the uh, championship game will be on April 4th. The Champions Classic will be Kansas and Michigan State. It will be Kentucky against Duke to uh, get it started on Tuesday night. Also, some really nice matchups later on in the week. You're going to have Villanova and UCLA, a top-five matchup there at Pauley Pavilion on Friday. Texas will play at number one Gonzaga on Saturday. So, Chris, I mean, these all sound like a lot of fun, but what do you think we find out about these teams in their first couple times out uh, in this season?
1: Well, I think we'll find out that, that age might triumph over youth, at least early in the season. So that means... Let's say a team like Villanova, which Jay Wright has always managed to get old and stay old, uh, is a, a good bet uh, to jump out of the gate. I think even though Colin Gillespie, the point guard, uh, he, he injured his MCL last year. I think he's going to be okay and ready to go. I think Texas, although uh, several players are new, as well as Coach Chris Beard to the program, they're all experienced transfers. I can't remember a better haul uh, from the transfer portal than what Texas roped in. So it will be interesting to see Texas versus Gonzaga, which, as you know, always rebuilds itself. It's our preseason number one in Blue Ribbon. But they're going to rely on two or three freshmen so uh, to play a huge role. So right. it's going to be interesting. That's that Texas Gonzaga is probably my favorite matchup of the early season or the first week or so. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. Looking forward to seeing that one, too. And, uh, uh, Chris. We should mention that uh, coming up in a little bit, you you and I are not going to have to do a lot of talking on this show because Joe Lenardi is going to join us very no. shortly, the uh, ESPN bracketologist and uh, longtime friend of yours and friend of our show. So looking forward to having Joe with us here shortly. Uh, a little bit about the, uh, the SEC, uh, another friend of ours, Kermit Davis, a new four-year contract through 2025 at Ole Miss. Uh, his, he's done a really good job there. Two postseasons in the first three years as head coach, and that includes – the COVID year, where the tournament got canceled, uh, they went to the NIT as the number one seed last year. Landed a couple big recruits. Kermit, just a, a really nice guy. I saw him uh, just briefly during baseball season last year, but done a terrific job there in Oxford. That seems to be a great fit for a guy who's a Mississippi native. And uh, congratulations to Kermit as his uh, stay in Oxford. It looks like will be continued, and they seem very happy with his work.
1: Yeah, I think so. And and I, it's funny how these things the NCAA allows you to play two exhibitions or one close scrimmage with another team or two close scrimmages, or you can mix mm-hmm. and Ole Miss word got out. uh I won't say who, but it was an sec coach that called me and said, did you hear, did, did Ole Miss beat Ohio state in Nashville in a close scrimmage? And I said, yes, I believe they did. <laughs> and, uh, I texted Kermit and, and said, man, you, you're already stirring up conversation around the league and he really likes his team. Uh, they too, uh, utilize the portal, uh, to their benefit and, and, uh, they've got good guards as usual. And Kermit has done a great job. He deserves the, uh, he, he deserves the extension. It's so funny that he ended up at Ole Miss. Uh, his father coached it. And he uh, was at Mississippi State. And, right. Uh, you know, it was kind of – I guess he had somewhat mixed emotion, but not many when he finally got the call to get a upper-level job. He deserves it for sure.
0: Let's talk a little more about the uh, the SEC, maybe a little preview of the Southeastern Conference. And, again, Joel Lenardi is going to be uh, coming up here in just a few minutes. Uh, several teams to rank rank to uh, start the season. Kentucky, Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, Auburn ranked uh, some places. Uh, Kentucky seems to have reloaded with transfers. Arkansas and Alabama seem to have the most proven players. The Hogs also adding three three big transfers to their program. What about Auburn? They, They seem like to me, Chris, maybe they're the hardest team to figure out of this group. They did not play well down the stretch last year. Sharif Cooper has gone to the pros. They have this freshman, Jabari Smith, who they're expecting a lot of. Alan Flanagan is out for a while with an injury. What do you make of that whole crew?
1: You know, it's funny. uh, After his first couple of years, when Bruce Pearl realized that he wasn't going to be able to do the quick turnaround that, that he did with Tennessee, he's sort of gotten it going. And he does it with a... A cast of characters that you know may not be the most recruited guys, but they fit with what he does. And then now is that he's starting to get a guy like Jabari Smith. They they were in our preseason top twenty-five uh, and stayed there despite the injury to Alan Flanagan. But I don't think they'll be as good as they can be until he's ready to go. And it was an Achilles injury, and those are. Yeah. difficult to deal with uh, they didn't re- release a lot of details I don't think it was a total tear like KD underwent but that's a tough injury to recover from
0: Tennessee the Vols have the pieces to contend uh, they, they lost some pieces off last year's team but have plenty coming back and some new additions that that'll help you know Kennedy Chandler among others but you feel like they'll be strong enough on the glass and inside and, and you were talking about stats from exhibition games and so forth they put up a million threes in that game the other night
1: I talked to Rick Barnes the other day uh, just briefly and they've averaged in two inter-squad scrimmages, a closed scrimmage with Davidson and a public scrimmage with Lenore Ryan, they've averaged more than 43 years a game. And I don't know that that necessarily means that they'll take that many every game, but – and I don't think that he's necessarily changed over to a three-and-drive offense like I read one of the Tennessee beat writers wrote that. I think he just ad- adapts to his personnel. And he's got some people that can sh- make threes. Kennedy Chandler, a great freshman, number one point guard coming in. The one thing that that uh, Paul Biancardi, our buddy from ESPN, said that that he needed to work on and did in his final year of high school was shooting the three ball. In that exhibition against Lenore Ryan, he was four of five. Uh, and the kid, the transfer from Auburn, Justin Powell, he came in yep. with the reputation of being a shooter. He was four of eight from three. And they've got Santiago Vescovi, who didn't shoot it well in that game, but can shoot it well. And uh, Josiah Jordan James. So they've got at least four solid thirty upper 30% plus three shooters so why not let them have at it is the way I look at it. And they're going to do it. And they're also going to run. And they've got three point guards. Rick got caught short of point guards two years yeah. ago. He vowed never to let that happen again. And they've got at least three guys that can run the point And they're going to play fast.
0: Uh, I wonder about the team whose games I'll be calling, and that that is Vanderbilt. Uh, I've talked to Jerry Stackhouse a couple times a couple days ago, matter of fact, and they, they played a couple close scrimmages, and I think they felt pretty good about how those went. I guess one of the big questions is whether the, uh, the big man, Liam Robbins, when he'll be back at full strength. I know they're getting him back to some work this week. But uh, when he's ready to go and, and full speed, they're, they're hoping he can be as good as he was at Minnesota at times. Because that's something this team's been uh, lacking the last couple seasons that big presence down low. He can throw the ball and get a bucket or do work in the paint on the defensive end. I think guard wise, they're going to be just fine. Seen quite a few practices and and, and watched him uh, some here and there. And uh, Scotty Pippen Jr., I, I think they're hoping he'll be able to play off the ball some more. They have the transfer, Roddy Chapman, that's a. Grad transfer from Dayton who's played on some really good teams and he looks like a really nice player and I, and I think uh, that he's going to be a big help for him. Uh, they have Tyron Lawrence who's a talented freshman last year before he got hurt. Uh, he's back and rolling again, so uh, I think this will be a really interesting team to watch. And you know, I was doing some prep for the season. And I I had almost forgotten how many close games that team lost last season. It, it got down a lot of times where you know you had a chance if you make a shot or you you know ha- take care of the ball and and don't make a big mistake at the end where you have a chance to win. Games games it'll be interesting to see if this group can kind of get over the hump in some of those games this season another team that I've seen Chris uh, a lot of people picking as a potential surprise team and to me I don't know if it'll be that big of a surprise in Mississippi State I thought they had a really nice squad last year and, and especially in seeing them in person I, I really like their guards and they, they seem to have all the pieces for Ben Howland what do you think about that group as far as a, a team that could uh, climb up a little bit here with with some really talented well, like squads what, in the SEC
1: I like what they did with with the portal and we ranked them in our preseason top 25 in Blue Ribbon. They, they got Garrison Brooks, uh, finally reunited with his father, George Brooks, uh, who was on the Mississippi State staff. He had originally committed to go there and at the last minute recanted and, and went to North Carolina. And, and he spent four good years there, especially his junior year. If he can revert to that junior year form, and and team with a big man they've already got who can play Tolu Smith. Yep. uh, And also DJ Jeffries, the Memphis transfer. They'll have one of the most imposing front lines in the country. And then Molinar is, is a great first team preseason, all sec pick. And I think the key man for them is rocket Watts, uh, the transfer from Michigan state. He underwent hip surgery in the off season. And if he's close to where he was as a freshman at, at Michigan state and, where he was allowed to play the two and you know Tom Izzo admitted he miscast him at the point last year I think I think they're going to be a formidable team I really do
0: Chris he is here ESPN bracketologist and longtime friend of yours and friend of the show the one and only Joe Lenardi what's going on
2: fellas it must be that time. We're talking hoops. What could be better?
0: Absolutely. Now, now, the last time we talked to you, you were like at an undisclosed location uh, near the beach, I think it was. Where, where are you coming from today?
2: I'm at my my regular house in beautiful Drexel Hill, Pennsylvania. Uh, I do have a little bit of uh, travel here in the next few days. A couple of tip-off events, uh, one uh, in Indiana, one on the West Coast, and then back for uh some opening night action in philly uh next week and then you know i i like to call it a marathon to march uh
1: a couple things i wanted to ask you right out of the box first of all this is just a statement congrats on on the new contract uh well deserved i i still am proud of the fact that uh I was with you right there at the origin of of, uh, Bracketology and I'm glad it's worked out so well for you. Give us a couple of, you heard it here first from the original OG Bracketologist that you think might happen this season.
2: Wow. Well, yes. Thank you for that. All of that, Chris. And I, I, I still say that uh, when, whenever it is that this ends for me, and I'm in no hurry, so there's no <laughs> announcement there. I'm in no hurry. Uh, as as long as I feel good and and you know I, I don't stink at it, I'd like to keep going. Uh, but but you know my fondest years were the original, not bracket bunker of Selection Week, but but the Blue Ribbon Bunker. And I would yep. love to get the band back together, right? Like, <laughs> like you know, like Aykroyd and Belushi. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and ha- have our, not Blues Brothers, but Blue Ribbon Brothers together. I like And, that. Uh, and do, uh, y- you know, just for old time's sake, because that really is what started it all. And, yeah, at least
1: have uh, uh, at least go play golf or something.
2: Oh well, for sure, golf season is is just just about over here in Philly, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: W- would you have to like go if get, get anybody out of here to to make this happen? Would you have to go get anybody out of jail or anything like that? You know, like, like they do in, in, in the Blues Brothers.
2: Well, well I, I don't. Think we have to spring anybody. I, yeah, I mean, I know there's a couple bench warrants for Chris <laughs> Tennessee, but but <laughs> you, you know, up up here in in respectable territory, I think. I think we're all right. Yeah, all all kidding aside, like things I think will happen, you heard it here first. Yeah, Joe Lenardi specials. Here's one. Okay. uh, And I've been as big a booster of of them as anyone over the years, but uh, Gonzaga, number one to start the year. I get it. Uh, There is no way no way that this Gonzaga team is as good as last year's. I think that they were uh, elite. And and what, what I mean by that is in, in comparison season over season that I do with some of my efficiency metrics, you, you know, they stacked up favorably with, you know, the Anthony Davis Kentucky team, not quite that, good the 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 Kentucky team after that in what 2015 that lost at at 38 and 0 or whatever they were Villanova in 2018 uh with with the four draft picks and Jalen Brunson as the national player of the year like these teams were you know a cut above over let's say the others in in this century since the year 2000, I don't think this Gonzaga team will be that good. Ergo, I don't expect them to go sauntering into the final four undefeated, or for that matter, necessarily even make the final four. I think last year, while the Zags and Baylor were clearly a cut above everyone else, I don't know that there's a cut above group like that I think there is a larger group that includes uh, Michigan and and Purdue uh, and Kansas uh, and, and some others I, I think it's a larger group from whom we're gonna see the champion emerge so so that's my you heard it here first I, I
1: like that um, you know you you do this
2: thing year round
1: and I've often wondered what are the underreported obstacles that the the committee and thus you have to deal with when you're actually making your bracket? Because you don't just pick teams and slap them in. You understand the rules better than, than anybody. What are some underreported obstacles in, in bracketing that people don't know about?
2: Or the, uh, the layperson the, the doesn't biggest... know about? Yeah the 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 bracketing element is underrated a little bit. Uh and and frankly to to me to me I think that the committee spends too much time on selection and not enough time on bracketing. So what what do I mean by that? Well they get there on Wednesday of championship week, and they work on selection and their seed list, you know, at least until midday Saturday. And there have been years where they don't even attempt to put teams into the bracket until Sunday. And some that now less so anymore, they they're better at having contingency brackets ready for what will happen on Sunday. And it's easier because there every year, there are fewer games on Sunday. Right. Uh, you, you know, most most leagues have have kind of started to shy away from that with a little bit of nudge from the NCAA for good reason, uh, because it it does throw some monkey wrenches in into the mix. Or, uh, you know, to to use a metaphor from from our day, a few seven hundred dollar Pentagon hammers get thrown into the mix there. <laughs> yes, but, I rem- I remember that. You know, it look their argument is always you can play your way out of a bad seed. You can't play yourself into the field. If we don't pick you, ergo, we should spend more time, the most time on selection. And, and I guess my argument to that is, uh, the selection shouldn't be that hard that it takes 90 to 95% of the time.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, uh, and, unfair brackets actually have a much greater impact on a team's ability to advance than, you know, what happens to the 69th team if they should have been in. Like, even if they miss a team on the margin, that team isn't winning the national championship, right? Like, I know we've had upsets, and last year we had a first four team in UCLA make the final four and it happened in the inaugural in in the debut of the first four back in 2011 with VCU. But I mean, by and large, even with those outliers, neither of those teams won the championship or even reached the the final. I think that there's a host of schools over the years that have been disadvantaged by incorrect seating or Uh, bracketing Uh, and, and, you know, I just think they should spend more time on that. They should spend more time on, on helping out with travel, on being fair in terms of placement. And I I don't, I don't think, I don't think they do that with as much emphasis as should be the case. Um, And the reason probably is because there's no revenue units involved in where you're, racketed there's only revenue units involved in where you're selected so or in being selected i get it i just don't agree with it i'm never going to win that argument uh and we'll probably die on that
0: hill. <laughs> We're visiting with ESPN bracketologist Joe Lenardi. Uh, they, they introduced the the net tool a few years ago, and it sort of replaced the RPI and, and, and some of the the ways teams are evaluated. Do you think that's been an effective metric, or would you like to see it tweaked, or are there other sorts of metrics you like to see introduced? I,
2: I do think it's effective. Uh, in in fact, in fact, let's see now, we've got one, two, three seasons of net, uh, two of which we actually had a, a bracket, right? The middle one, there there was no final bracket with with the start of of the pandemic. But you know, there's there's been kind of a general and accepted consensus of what that bracket would have looked like, at least in terms of who got in and around. What seed and in in studying the three years then of net and its impact on how teams are viewed, uh, I think it has been well. This sounds like a pun. A net positive, one might say. Uh, it's a better metric than the RPI. It is uh, more effective at telling us how teams are playing, as opposed to RPI, which. 75% of it was who you played and who your opponents played. So I, I'm, I'm in favor of that. I think it has brought less variance to the process uh, and made it, made it easier for the public to understand, which is good, and, and far more difficult for teams to manipulate. Uh, when, when people say that, uh, there was a time when, when, when schools started to game the RPI, that's 100% correct. Uh, and it, it did happen. Uh, and in fact I did some off season work for some schools with that in mind. Uh, I don't think we used the word game, the system I think we used Let's give ourselves the most advantageous (laughs) opportunities, Uh, you you know. But your chocolate's my vanilla, so we the the RPI could be manipulated in terms of its ability to make you seem attractive to the committee. Uh, So I'm I'm a fan of net. Uh, It has made the preseason. And scheduling work more difficult, but it has made the process of selection and seeding more fair. And I, I, I'm willing, like that's a good trade in in my in my eyes. And I I, I frankly I don't think we're missing any metrics. Uh, I I keep all six metrics that are on the team sheets that the committee uses, as well as. Some of my own aggregations that have, I've developed over the years, I will change the weighting from time to time. But at the very end of the day, at the very end of the day, when you're picking the top seed or you're picking the last few teams in the field, it is uh, subjective as much as and probably more so than it is objective And I don't think there's any substitute for having a feel for what goes on in that room on the human element side. And when I get in trouble, it's usually when I lose sight of that, either because just a volume of commitments or I haven't slept or, (laughs) you you know, the dog swallowed my car keys or whatever in, in that praise of a final few days heading into selection Sunday night but uh, if, if I can remind myself with a good night's sleep and a strong cup of coffee on Sunday morning that it's not what I think it's what are they going to do and and, and I can literally at this point close my eyes and hear the conversation that's taking place or likely taking place about a particular team or teams because, you know, as much time as the committee members put into it and they do, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I think they're incredibly well intentioned. They want to get it right. They don't like getting beat up by knuckleheads like me. Okay. But, but they're human too and i can close my eyes and hear the conversation and i can apply 20 or 25 years of history to that because they only serve for 5 right, right. and then they go away and they only build a couple brackets each year i build brackets every day every year and you, you know, I, I think there's some value to that experience. And when I lean on that, instead of my own, you know, fit of opinion of the moment, everyone is better off. At least everyone who, you know, allegedly is following me and and, and, and our work. Does that make okay, sense? Okay, my friend. Absolutely. It,
1: it, it, it does. It does. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you to look into that crystal ball of yours one more time. With all the conference shifting that we've seen with the name, image and likeness, uh, do you see that impacting the, the, the tournament to where some people might want to break away and have a power conference tournament? And, and I know that you know that I went to a couple of mid major schools and, and you did too. That wouldn't be good for the, for the NCAA tournament, would it if 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 it fundamentally changed and became a power conference tournament?
2: Correct, and and, and I would share your kind of basketball worldview, right? Because that's really what we're talking about, which is who should be included at the part, right? And he he here's what I would say: the only thing that an LSU wants more than all of its money is yours too. Right. And and I'm not picking on them. I'm just, you know, I'm using an example of, you know, a power conference school that is probably not lying awake at night thinking about how to make things better for Northern Iowa. Okay. Okay. Like, there's no Ali Faroukmanes statue in Baton Rouge. No. Okay? No. And I have long thought, long before the last realignment and this realignment and whatever the next realignment is, that someday the gigantic football tail would ultimately take over the basketball doll. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think it would happen in my professional lifetime, meaning let's say another five or 10 years, but that hope I I thought I would live long enough to see it. Personally. uh, I still believe both of those things. Uh, The current, I think CBS Turner agreement for the tournament goes until like 2032 or something like that. And, I know that they like it the way it is. That in the early weekends of the tournament, the storylines of Sister Jean, et cetera, right. are of value to them. The storyline of having the Blue Bloods in the Final Four is also of value to them. They would rather Duke in Kentucky than Loyola and... and you know, Butler or whomever that we've seen at that level over, over recent years. Uh, the, the power schools will eventually win that argument, uh, for the same reason that McDonald's sells more hamburgers than, you know, Dorch's roadside stand. Uh, but 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 I, I don't think it will be easy, and I also don't think that Division One itself will simply collect in those eighty schools, uh, be, because they have to play someone outside of their leagues, right? And you know, Bob Huggins with his comments a couple weeks ago about you know the tournament only for the big boys, yeah, well. Yeah. At some point, like, but I don't want to play my first game against Pitt, at Pitt. I want to play my first game against Buckhannon State, right? So, so there's going to be some of that, too. Division one is too big. Like, there aren't 358 basketball-playing schools with enough players to legitimately compete for a championship. Yeah, I don't know what the number is. You know, in major college football, it's what about 130 yeah. teams that are, and y- you know, there's a lot of room between 130 and 350. And and I think we'll probably have a phase where it settles in there somewhere, like you know, like like the top half to two thirds of the current Division One. I don't think we're going to go straight to a breakaway. Um, That's just kind of my own view of it because TV is smart enough to know that Loyola against VCU on Thursday at 2.30 is more captivating to eyeballs than the 13th place team in the SEC – with a losing record playing the 14th place team from the ACC with a losing record. Like, and, and, you know, the, the there's proof of that and it's easy. You know, no one watches the pool on weed eater goal at 2:30 on December 28th between, you know, North Texas and Eastern Michigan. Like, like we have this model already and the people that watch are the same people that will watching in basketball, the people that bet on, not the casual fan who fills out a, a, a bracket.
0: Joe, it's been fantastic having you as always. Uh, really love our time with you and appreciate you spending a few minutes with us. And I know we'll be catching up with you down the road. Thank you very much.
2: Kevin, did, did, did you get paid a lot to work with Chris? Oh
0: yes, yes. It, I, I I renegotiated my deal before we started this season. Yeah, we, 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 quite it's a, a fortune mean, like, he like,
2: makes. Like, like like let's be honest. Otherwise, it would have to be like a community service project, right? Like <laughs> yeah. no one would like
0: volunteer. Oh yeah, I get service time too for it. So yeah, it, it works out. As well. long as, <laughs>
1: as, as long as we're busting chops, dude. I never got my autographed copy of your daggone book. <laughs> All right, wait a minute. When wait am minute. I
2: gonna Hold get on. it? Hold on. Hold on. Here we go. It's written right here. Oh, okay. It's written right here. I'll, te- I'll text you my okay, look, address. It, there's writing. There's writing. Does <laughs> that come through? And it even says you're a nice guy. <laughs> All right. Uh, oh, <laughs> now that, that is a surprise. Because I was told that signing a book is like giving a eulogy. Like, you never say anything bad about it. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs>
0: well, I hope our paths cross. That was ESPN Bracketologist Joe Linardi. Always great to uh, spend some time with Joe. It is never a dull moment with that guy. He's a lot of fun. All right, Chris, back on Tuesday, uh, the Atlanta Braves won the World Series for the first time since 1995. And you were telling me before we got started here that you had quite the experience at Game 6 in '95 when the Braves clinched with that uh, memorable one nothing win over Cleveland. Give us the the, uh, details of your evening, which was really interesting, and not just one part. There's like three parts to this whole story.
1: It it was multifaceted, and one of the craziest nights of my uh, sports reporting career, I I was with my friend Billy Weeks, uh, who's a great, great photographer. He teaches with me at at the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Billyweeks.com, if you want to see his work, he's unbelievable. Actually, the Braves asked him to shoot a game in this world series, but in 95, you know, the final game and, um, before the game started, I wandered out of the press area or the the backup press area. And, um, who should I see at the frozen yogurt stand, but Ted Turner. And he's buying a cup of frozen yogurt and and he tells the attendant best bargain in the ballpark. (laughs) And, uh, he hands her some money and uh, she says it's it's three dollars, sir, uh, Mr. Turner. And he starts patting his pockets. You know he needs a quarter to to come through. And uh, I said, uh, excuse me, Mr. Turner, I got this. <laughs> and I, I lent a quarter to a billionaire that started CNN. <laughs> so that was the first thing. It was a harbinger of things to come. After the game, uh, Billy and I were on the field as we're. A million other uh, reporters and photographers and uh i ran by jane fonda and i could not resist i doubled back and i said you were awesome in barbarella and she said th- she said thanks i think uh, she thought i was busting on her but i really like barbarella if, if you haven't seen it it's a campy sci-fi and uh let's just say young jane was awesome um uh, And so after that, I start heading to the Braves locker room and I'm running full tilt boogie, you know, and I turn a corner and see somebody. I slam on the brakes and I am freaking nose to nose with Jimmy Carter. And I've got (laughs) diminished memory of some of it, but I swear his secret service agent's. Looked like they were going to draw down on me. But he just said, That was a great game, wasn't it? I, I said, All I, at first I said was Jimmy Carter. And I said, Yes, Mr. President, it was great. And then I, I, I bade farewell and headed to the locker room where the final part of the great night, uh, one of the clubhouse boys that Billy and I had befriended you know, throughout the series, uh-huh. uh, he saw me standing over there and he said, here, and he gave me one of the world series hats
0: that oh, they put cool. on,
1: you know, for the, uh-huh. and, um, my, my dad, uh, uh, he was a huge Braves fan. So I gave it to him. And after he passed in 2011, I, I've inherited it back, but, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've been through some some crazy stuff in my career, but in one night for all the the things i did or <laughs> almost didn't do i e run down jimmy carter uh that that is second to almost none of any, anything that's ever happened to me
0: that is awesome what a story i mean it it be it would have been a great story even if you just had like one part to it but uh, for all that stuff to happen yeah. at the same time was amazing it, i you know it i was crazy I, I was thinking you know when you went to work for turner and was doing some nba stuff i mean you, you got to throw down that story of, of lending ted a quarter i mean you know a little little something for the effort here a
1: little something for the effort yeah i i don't think he remembered me uh, but I sure remember him. And what's cool is uh, he's got a history in Chattanooga, where I live. He went to the Macaulay School, huh. and I, I think is a generous stoner. But uh, yeah, he he was nice. We we chatted for a second after that. But uh,
2: hey, I hope we win tonight.
1: You know, he had this gravelly yeah. voice uh, as a seafarer might. I remember when when he did America's Cup, and yep. I was working in Florida at the time, and we would get off work and actually watch that stuff. On ESPN, like, at, at, you know, Fridays or Ruby Tuesdays or wherever it was we went after work, they had a huge screen. and But Ted Turner was is a, a unique individual for sure.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I was at that World Series earlier in the series. I went to games one and two, my uncle and I did, and I remember seeing Ted and Jane down there huddled up it was cold and uh, I remember Darius Rucker sang the national anthem at one of those games and of course you know he's, he's still very famous and prominent now and uh, you, were oh, talk, yeah. you were talking about Jimmy Carter. I guess my only uh, real connection there is Jimmy Carter was elected on my birthday in 1976. I, I, I remembered that. Wow. Uh, I guess I would That's have been. Awesome, I think man. that was my fifth birthday, and he was elected that day. But and, and I guess my other connection is I, I was born in Georgia. So there you go. Well, Chris, there you go. Awesome. That is awesome. I wanted to make sure you told that story before we got done. And uh, man, the season is upon us, and we'll get things rolling next week. Always a lot of fun. Appreciate the time. I enjoyed it, buddy. He's Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram, that is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, and we will talk to you soon.